So this week we're on the we're in the worship box this week. Uh, all, all the way over to the right, second row. This is the third practice that we're going to be talking about. So we've talked about relationships, we've talked about service, and now we've got this last one. And again, this second row, these are practices. So our purpose, our purpose is to love, and then we practice love through relationships, through service, and then through worship. So this morning, I've asked John to, uh, uh, to, to join me. We're going to do this together. Uh, we've not done this before, so this is, a, this is a grand experiment. But I have a question for you this morning. My question is this. How would you live if you didn't have to behave anymore? How would you live if you didn't have to behave anymore? If you didn't have to pray, if you didn't have to read your Bible or tell others about Jesus... How would you live if you knew that God would love you no matter what? How would you live? So as we talk about worship, we're talking about loving worship. Because worship is activated by love. By love. So worship isn't a, isn't a posture. It's not a set of rituals but it's something way more than that. Worship is all about relationship. The question here is, are we just doing religious works or are we engaged in a worshipful and loving relationship with a holy and loving God? We're going to look in just a minute at Matthew chapter 15 where Jesus has this interaction with his disciples and with the people around him in his day and he pulls from Isaiah 29. In the middle of this Matthew 15 passage, Jesus draws back from the Old Testament and he quotes from Isaiah 29. And whenever you see an Old Testament quote in the New Testament, it's always so, so interesting. Because especially with Jesus, especially with him, he knows the whole Old Testament context and he knows why he's going to stick it in here put it in here, and share this, uh, this passage with those people that day. Um, John said something as we, were, as we were talking this past week. He said, religion is all about behavior, but relationships are all about love. So are we religious, or do we have a relationship with God? That's what we want to talk about this morning, because Worship without love is works. If you look over there, the the anti-box is works. Are we full of works, even good works? Or do we have a relationship that our worship comes out of? So, John, why don't you go ahead and and, uh, take over here. This uh, passage in Isaiah These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. The disciples then came to him and asked, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? That's kind of a funny statement. Jesus replied, Every plant that my heavenly Father has planted will be pulled up by its roots. Leave them. 
They are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Peter then said, explain the parable to us. Are you still so dull? Jesus asked them. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are the things that defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. This is a great passage where Jesus really boils it down to capture this distinction between, um, well, what what true worship is, right? Here, the, the Pharisees were focused on those external things that were expected of people who were going to follow the, follow the Lord, at least from their perspective. And um, uh, I suppose in that day, if you were to look at someone and say, who are the people in our midst who are the really good people, who are really effective in their worship of the living God, the people would hold up the Pharisees. I mean, they're the ones that were that had it all right they had all the traditions down they had all the behaviors down from the outside they looked like they had it all together but of course you know man looks on the outside but god looks at the heart and this is the passage from isaiah that jesus really drills down into where he says listen these people honor me only with their lips but their hearts where it really counts are far from me and they worship me jesus says in vain you know here we're talking about this box this worship box and all the things that they were throwing into that box as jesus looks at it as he's quoting from the book of isaiah he says the reality is all that is in vain and and he goes on to to then explain see the real issue is not behavior but what is going on in the heart. See, religion is all about the right behavior, doing the right things. Um, we don't worry about that. <laughs> we don't, do we worry about the right behavior, doing the right things? We don't care what each other does, right? We, we show grace and love and forgiveness. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, so, so what are some of those behavioral things, if we want to bring it into, you know, our current existent reality today? Yeah. You know, what are some of those behavior things that, that we all, not just the outside world, but all of us tend to look at to say these are the things that a follower of God, a worshiper of God should do? Well, we could list them. We could list things like reading your Bible. Obviously, right? Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. How many of you sang that song to your little kids? Read. Oh, you, ha- you didn't sing that song? Maybe that was drawn up by my local worship children's pastor. Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. Ignore your Bible, forget to pray, and you'll shrink, shrink, shrink. Now, that was a kid's song. It's a terrible song, by the way. Terrible. 
because it's, it's, not, it's not in line with what Jesus teaches. So we could list all these behaviors. Going to church is, a, is my favorite. That's my favorite, um, that's my favorite scapegoat, the going to church one, because we are the church. So the church can't go to church. The church can assemble, but it can't really go to church. So we, we could list all, the, all these behaviors, but here's the crazy thing. The good news, right, the gospel, isn't it all about Jesus freeing us from having to modify our behavior so that it is in line with him so that he can receive us and accept us, right? right. Wasn't that the Old Testament experiment? That was the Old Testament experiment and the people of Israel utterly failed. That humanity failed that test of you have to behave, you have to do the right thing. It did not work. So Jesus came and changed everything. So, so here the Pharisees were apparently concerned about, um, well, let's see, uh, uh, they don't wash their hands before they eat. So let's take that one. The washing of, of the, explain that, that rule just for a minute. The people had to apparently wash their hands before they ate. They had these laws or rules. Yeah, and it was just part of their natural, well, so there was the written law, right, that they had in the Old Testament, uh, the whole 613 commands that are found in the law of Moses, but around those core laws, the followers of the Lord also included what they called the oral law, and both of those got lumped together in the kind of things that a proper follower, a proper Israelite would do in the expression of their worship to the Lord, their daily life. Um, going to the synagogue on uh, a certain day or going to the temple and offering sacrifices or all the feasts and the festivals, things that were part of the expression of the life of an Israelite. But, but isn't that, in the Old Testament, right, they had to follow the law in order to have a relationship with God, right? In order to go to heaven, in order to be saved, they had to do all those things, right? Isn't that the difference between the New Testament and the Old Testament, that you had to follow the law? I mean, that's the, that's the understanding that I find most Christians have, is the Old Testament, you had to follow the law, and the New Testament is a different way. Well, not really. Not really. Oh? <laughs> because even in the Old Testament, um, and uh, looking at our time here, I don't know if we can get into it all, but the reality is even... Oh, in, we got plenty of time. <laughs> even in the Old Testament, as Moses writes the Pentateuch, the issue was really about not what was going on the outside, but what was going on the inside that the life that God was calling us to was a life of faith. It was the life of belief in. It was a life of actually a transformed heart because uh, Jeremiah writes about this, that what we really need, Jeremiah says, is, is the law written on our hearts, that we need a new heart. See, God is not really interested at all in behavior modification. You could say, God's not interested in our behavior at all, and I'm overstating it. 
But what God is really after is a heart that is changed, a heart that is transformed, a heart that is in this loving, real, dynamic relationship with God. And out of that expression, that out of that changed heart, then behaviors come. See, the issue is, if my heart is right, my heart is really, truly right, if my heart has been made right, then I don't need law at all. So, so you have... That's too hard. <laughs> That's too hard. It's a lot easier to have rules, right? So if I, I'm coming to church, so we're all at church. We're good. We're good for this morning. Tomorrow's another day, but we're good for today because we all showed up. We're all here. I, I cut in on you, you there. No, no, go, go right ahead. <laughs> so it's easier, yes, but it's not. Well, yeah, but our hearts are, are deceitful and desperately wicked. Who, who can know them, right? You can't judge us by our hearts. They're deceitful and desperately wicked. Amen? They are, Okay, yes. then let's just follow the rules. That's why the Old Testament has the law, to guide our wicked hearts. <laughs> so, so gather your I know, thoughts. I here. do know Second Corinthians five seventeen. Right, <laughs> gather your thoughts just for a second now that I've scrambled them all up. Yeah. Um, therefore, if anyone is in who Christ, he is a a new creation. Old things are passed away, and in the King James, maybe only. And behold, all things are become new. We're new creations. We're new. We're new. Jesus held the cup, right? And he said, this cup is the new agreement. It's the new covenant. It, it's, it fulfills and replaces the old covenant. It fulfills and replaces. And I call you friends. Uh, the gospel is such good news because it brings freedom. So you don't have to behave anymore to be accepted by God. He accepts you. So John, we were talking about how we're released from reading our Bibles every day. We're released from having to pray every day so that we can read our Bibles and so that we can pray. Mm-hmm. We're released from going to church once a week so that we can get together as believers and encourage one another. And all the more as we see the day approaching, right? And that is the difference between uh, works on this side and worship on this side. Because when my... Um, heart is made right, when I enter into this living, real relationship with Christ that is based on love, his love for me, I mean, he loved me, he loved you, he loved us when we were anything but lovely, and that, uh, that transforms everything that I do. So worship becomes not, you know, you know we call them worship songs, Right? Worship is far more than singing three or four songs on a Sunday morning or listening to the radio. 
uh, as you're driving in the car. But everything that we do gets transformed by this, this loving expression of gratitude and thanks and interaction. It all becomes worship. So I blame the world for redefining love in a bad way. Yeah. But the truth is, I blame us, the church, for redefining worship in a bad way. Talk about putting it in a box. We, we put it in the front end of a, what we call a worship service. We say we're going to have the worship time and then the teaching time. Oh, my goodness. That's, that's so, that's so uh, what's the word? It, it diminishes, it diminishes what worship is. Because worship is born out of a relationship with God. So I worship my wife. I worship the ground she walks on. She wishes I would sweep it once in a while, but, but I worship it. <laughs> um, why? Because of the relationship I have with her. I have a relationship with her. Like I could just do her laundry and fold it for her and put it in her drawers and I could do the dishes. Those would be maybe acts of worship, behaviors. She doesn't want that. Somehow she wants me to care. <laughs> she wants me to care about her. She wants me to love her. And she wants me to receive love from her. So as these wonderfully redeemed people of God, we rip off ourselves and God sometimes by just like showing up in a building. And again, I say, looking at the back of each other's heads and thinking that this is what there is. There's so much more. There is. And, and again, that, um, that underlying base of love that guides and directs all that we do really does transform everything. And this is why Jesus in Matthew 15 is trying to get the disciples and the Pharisees and us as readers of these passages to understand that, that again, it's not those external things that God is looking for. But uh, he's not looking for, for works. He's looking for a loving relationship. And from that then flows all these things that helps develop and, and uh, that helps us learn how to worship, that helps us learn how to, you know, respond to God in, uh, in increasingly uh, wonderful ways. Um, it's, it's connect, all these things are connected, right? Even how we even present the gospel of Jesus Christ itself. So oftentimes it gets kind of cast in what are the minimal entry requirements, what are the things that I have to do to get into heaven. You know, you got to pray this prayer, and then you have to have a daily devotional life, and then you have to come to church, and then you have to, you know, give your tithe, and then you have to go out and reach out and serve others, even though I didn't really want to do that, you know, but that's... A, you didn't really want to? You oh, you were joking? Yeah, I'm joking there, Cause right? Because I, I really didn't want to, but I did, just for the picture. Well, I rode around with Bob Rothart in the truck all day, you know, so, 
Um, it worked out for me pretty good. Um, but it's, it's not those external things even in and of itself that produce life. Right? It's this transformed heart. And when, again, when my heart is right, then I don't need the law, but my heart will then begin to act and respond in ways, of course, all with the Spirit's help, all with the Spirit's empowerment, in increasing measure as he changes us more to be like Christ. You know, it's this picture of God then uh, calls us to become what we already are in him which is incredibly freeing. So then it becomes, rather than I have to read my Bible because this is a Christian duty, this is a Christian work, I have to come to church, I have to give my, um, you know, money, I have to do this and that, it turns into that, oh, Lord, because of the love that I receive from you and that you've changed my heart, that you've made me a new thing, that these are the things now that I get to do as I learn how to worship you and serve you and to bless others, all who cross my path in in the name of the Lord. You said something that if I could take this and put it in a box and take it out in the field between here and the garden and have one of those things that you push down and it explodes, you know what I mean? If I could blow something up and obliterate it, it would be this, this term. Now, Forgive me, please, just, just be patient. This term, daily devotional life, can we just blow it up and get rid of it? Because that term, that term takes this grand relationship with God that, that explains pray without ceasing, that makes pray without ceasing all of a sudden not a puzzle anymore. But, oh, it just means that, you know, I've got this ongoing relationship with God. It takes this great, phenomenal, blood-bought relationship with God, and it truncates it, it minimizes it, it it puts it into this little box called my daily devotional life. And that makes me think of daily devotional life is, is individual. It's my individual private time with God. And as Americans in the Western culture, but in our American culture, we have this term called rugged individualism. And that term is actually antithetical to the working of the body of Christ. Because the body of Christ is is God-designed interdependent. It's interdependent. So we need one another. And I'm going to grow when I'm talking to you And we're together with the Holy Spirit in us, chewing on the scriptures. I'm going to grow faster than if I'm by myself sitting in a chair reading my Bible. It doesn't mean I don't sit in a chair and read my Bible or get on my knees and read my Bible. I do that, but I don't depend on that as my sustenance. I need you in my life. I need you in my life. Because we grow not just individually, we grow faster in community. So worship, worship is, is both a, it's an event like we're doing today, but it's also a lifestyle. It's more a lifestyle. It's, it's because it's a relationship with God. It is, uh, it's individual, but more importantly, it's, it's, 
it's communal. It's uh, corporate. It's done in community. So if there's, if there's one thing I would eradicate from the nomenclature, the, 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 the pool of words and phrases, it would be daily devotional life. And then I would wait a while, a couple months, maybe a year, and then reintroduce another word, another word for that, another term. Because it's, oh my goodness, it's so much more than just that. And, and, and we do. I, I think of a story I heard when I was in school. Um, Bruce Waltke, who's an Old Testament professor, mm-hmm. came and, uh, and spoke. And he shared this story that when he was uh, in seminary himself, actually he was working on his Ph.D. work, he took uh, some time, a uh, semester or two, to travel to um, Israel. And uh, on the, in the building where he was staying, the apartment building, uh, he met a rabbi uh, there in, in Israel, Jewish fellow, and asked if they could start reading uh, the Bible together in Hebrew because he was working on his Hebrew and, and developing it. And so they began to meet weekly. And uh, the way that they, they would begin to study a passage, and when they got to a word in Hebrew that uh, Walke didn't know, he would ask this rabbi uh, who was fluent in, uh, in Hebrew and this guy would begin to quote a psalm. Start at verse 1, just pick, you know, a random psalm where this word that, they, that Bruce didn't know, and he would begin to quote it until he got to that word, and then he would, you know, explain the word in context and all those kind of things. Well, after several weeks this guy doing it, Bruce said to him, turned to him, he said, I think you've got all the Psalter, all the book of Psalms memorized. And the guy said, I do. Hmm. And he said, well, would you meet with me some Saturday and just, you know, sing it for me, quote it, you know, read it through and I'll follow along in my Hebrew Bible. And the guy did that. Took him like two and a half, three hours, something like that. Then they started. Next week they met again. And when they got to a word in a passage that Bruce didn't know, um, the guy, rather than going to uh, the book of Psalms, went to the Pentateuch. And, you know, wherever it was, somewhere in Numbers, uh, Numbers chapter 22, and he would start to quote till he's got to, got to this word. And Bruce turned to him and said, I think you've got all the Pentateuch memorized. And he said, I do. <laughs> now, he didn't have him quote the whole thing because that would have taken all day. But the ironic thing about this, that this rabbi, as he was meeting with him, he discovered that he was an atheist. That he didn't actually believe that there was, <laughs> yeah, really, didn't believe that there he was, was an a atheist. God. He was an atheist as a rabbi. And, I mean, he knew the Old Testament in the original language, and he had it memorized. Um, talk about having a quiet time. I and mean, if you could have a quiet time, there was a man who could right. do it. But the fact of the matter is that it didn't produce life. He had all the external behaviors down pat. But his worship was in vain because there wasn't this love, this relationship foundationally built on love. So as a, as a churchgoer, I was going to say as a pastor, but as a churchgoer, and you would know this because you're a churchgoer, every once in a while you run into a person who you know has their daily devotional life in order. Maybe they read through the Bible every year and have for quite some time. But they're hard to be around. <laughs> they're like, you can hardly stand to be around them. What's up with that? I think it's the same thing. 
And, and this, is why, this is why this has helped me so much. This has helped me. This, just this, this diagram. I don't want to hear about how much you're reading your Bible. I want to hear about how loving you are. I want to know how well do you love. Because atheists read their Bible apparently, right? Now, of course, you could argue and say, well, he didn't read the New Testament. Okay. I know a guy. I know a guy, right? I, can't, I won't tell you who he is. He's read the Bible every year for over 30 years. He does it, you know, in the different translations. Knows God's word. Oh, my goodness. Just as he's talking, Scripture comes out. Not in good context, but it's just coming out all over the place. This guy's daughter talked with my wife and I this summer for a, for a half an hour after a graduation celebration. We stood in the driveway, and she told us about her 10 years of counseling she had to be in because he was her dad. And people stop going to the church he goes to because he goes there. So he's all over it. He's like, he's all over the scriptures, but he's missed what Abraham knew back in Genesis 15. Abraham believed God. Abraham believed God. He had a relationship with God. Faith. And we're children of Abraham when we have faith. You said something, become what, become what we already are. Yeah. See, that, that, I love that. We could spend way too much time on that. But that's the key. We're trying to modify our behavior so that we can feel good about ourselves and so that God will be happy with us. But he already is. See, that's the whole, that's the whole wonder of being in Christ. When we're in Christ, he's already happy with us. We don't have to behave and, and have, do all these things for him to be happy with us. He already is. And the way that we can have the best behavior is to just know who we already are. Last week we talked about if you know who you are, then you know what to do. And if you don't know who you are, you're not going to know what to do. But isn't that, isn't that just the wonder of the gospel? It's not the gospel versus the plan of salvation, this truncated version of the life God wants for us. And it transforms worship, and it transforms. So, so many of those activities, like reading your Bible and praying and fasting and doing good works, doing service, they have the danger for us to slipping into these obligations, things that we have to do, things that God is looking down with a kind of a scowl on his face, waiting for us to mess up or to not do it well enough, which is, it's, an incre- it's like the law, right? It's yeah. like an incredible burden that we put on our backs, that the Pharisees put on the people themselves. Well, who would want that? Who wants that? I don't want that. I don't want it. I don't want that kind of a life. But when there is this, this foundation of love where God comes and he expresses his love for us in Christ and he provides a way for us to enter into right relationship with him and it's all grace, it's all grace, that that then frees us up 
to enter into those kinds of things like reading your Bible and praying where it removes the duty-bound part of it and they then become life-producing in us. That God's Spirit then uses those things as we partner with him in the process and they all become infused as kind of this expression of love and worship to God back that God then uses to an increasing measure. It's part of the things that God uses to transform us, to shape my heart in ways that, that is free, that is set free to love and to bless everyone who crosses my path. We talked about the other day about the dog on the leash. Mm-hmm. You know, when you got the leash on, the yard doesn't look too good. When you're, when you're on the leash, you want to get out of the yard. And that's like that with spiritual disciplines. When there are a leash around your neck, you really, you really want to get out of the yard. You want to go do something else. But see, God takes the leash off. And when the leash is off, the yard doesn't look so bad. I mean, there's, there's nice grass in the yard, and there's a dish with food and water. And, and if it gets to be bad weather and you're in the yard, you can just kind of go in maybe the garage. Or if you're really lucky, the house, right? Um, but when the leash is on... It's, that's no good. When the leash is on, that's when worship is without love. So, John, the last, uh, the last slide. Jesus didn't die for us to practice religion. He died so we could have a loving relationship with God and one another and a transforming relationship with God's word. That's cool. We get to do that. So you don't have to behave. What if... How would you live if you didn't have to behave anymore? If you were living out of a relationship with God, you'd live the wonderful way that God tells us is the best way to live in relationship with him. And then the score takes care of itself, right? The behaviors take care of themselves. Man, John, it's 914. Why, you talk so much Sorry. when you're up here. We're going to have to do something about the next service. We're going to have to cut down all of your interruptions. We'll figure it out. <laughs> Would you pray for us? Sure. So, Father in heaven, we here as a family together, we come and uh, in spirited and truth as best we can come and bow at your feet and to worship you. Thank you so much for the love that you reveal to us, you show to us, you demonstrate to us in the person of Jesus. Jesus, how grateful we are that you came to transform everything, to change everything. Lord, will you change us, we pray. Thank you that you make all things new, that you have made us new in you, that you take from us all our uh, junk, all our sin, and you give to us in return your righteousness. Father, by your spirit, we pray that you would help us to walk in the richness of the love that we receive from you. Lord, forgive us when we become duty-bound in our relationship with you. You have so much more for us than what we so often limit it to. Jesus, help us to receive the love that you extend toward us moment by moment. Lord, will you... Uh, will you change not our behaviors, will you change our hearts, we pray. 
thank you that that is what you want to do. And by faith, we receive, we anticipate that you will do that for our good and for your glory. For Jesus, we pray this in your great name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.